What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Hey, it's Katie Kramer, your Squawk Pod host. Before we start today's episode, I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Whether you've been loyal since our launch in 2019 or you're a little newer, we appreciate every one of you. And we love presenting you with the best of CNBC's coverage every day. Our work would not be possible without your support. So please help us help you. Take a second right now, click that follow button wherever you're listening, and give us a rating while you're at it. Couple of stars. Remember, you can also share any of our episodes at any time on Twitter, LinkedIn, your personal newsletter, a text, whatever. Help us spread the CNBC word. That's it. Thanks, everybody. Now, let's get to the podcast. Bring in show music, please. Today on Squawk Pod. Matchmaking continues in the banking sector. Ooh, romantic. First Citizens agrees to buy assets of Silicon Valley Bank. Maybe this will be, you know, something that we remember as helping stabilize. I don't know if it puts things to bed, but it certainly looks better for the moment. Banks rescuing banks, rescuing us. Global economist Ian Shepardson joins us. I'm getting really nervous now that an economy that I thought was going to dodge recession, just, is now at much greater risk of falling into one. And, you know, it could be quite severe. Plus, all our questions for the Federal Reserve, a Saudi banker stepping down, and global business leaders like Apple's Tim Cook wrap up a high-profile meeting in Beijing. CNBC's Eunice Yoon has the -the behind-the-scenes chatter. Privately, the attendees were quite pessimistic, especially about the outlook for U.S.-China relations. It's Monday, March 27th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. In breaking news this morning, it's helping a a lot of the regional banks uh, trade higher. The FDIC says First Citizens Bank and Trust will buy Silicon Valley Bank deposits and loans, and the deal includes the purchase of about $72 billion dollars in SVB assets at a discount of $16.5 billion. Uh, around $90 billion in securities and other assets will remain in receivership uh, disposition by the FDIC. And the FDIC uh, received equity appreciation rights in First Citizen bank shares with a potential value of up to $500 million. First Citizens will receive a line of credit from the FDIC for contingent liquidity purposes. It has a loss sharing and and kind of a profit-sharing agreement with the FDIC to protect further against potential credit losses. And then beginning today, SVB's 17 former branches will begin operating as Silicon Valley Bank, a division of First Citizens Bank. That's interesting. They keep the name, too. Yep. Raleigh-based bank. It's in the top 30 uh, as far as banks. I think $109 billion. Uh, in assets, this will put. Remember, SVB was 16 in terms of assets before everything fell apart. There, in, it was 16th. 16th. Yeah, yeah, this will put it in the top 25. Uh, and um, it, it, yeah, 109 billion was what it what it had before. So it's it's you know one of the 
fairly big regional bank. At first, uh, Republic is up sharply today. It's back over $15. A lot of the, uh, the regionals are back. I, now I think what the Fed now is back to inflation, I guess. Well, I mean, look, this, this, is, this, this is a good, I, I don't know if it puts things to bed, but it certainly looks better for the moment. Um, I think it's going to cost the FDIC about $20 billion. $20 billion in lo- they're, losses, They're talking yeah. about uh, the profit sharing that they would get on top of it, which is right. a good way to deal with it. But this is, this the is FDIC deal, insurance, it, so it hits it to the tune of about $20 billion. Uh, right, right. Which is... Uh, and, by the way, they, I think they had $120 billion the last time I looked at their balance sheet, maybe at the end of the year for the FDIC. So about one-sixth of what they make. FDIC is not government money. These are funds right. that come from the banks. They pay the fees that go directly into this. Right. It's a pretty good deal, I think, for first Citizens Bank because they're getting something like $72 billion in assets. The assets and the, the loans that they could do well for about this, $16 yeah. billion. And um, it gives them another foothold. They're very acquisitive uh, bank growing quickly. Um, maybe this will be, you know, something that, that we remember as helping stabilize uh, things. I was thinking about something else I was uh, going to say. I can't remember what it was. But um, yeah. got three hours. Yeah, we do have three hours. As you mentioned, First Republic shares up right now by about 25%. That's a gain of better than three bucks to $15.55. Oh, 17 trillion in deposits would be tough to insure. Yes. So you, <laughs> you, this is the 20. We'll use up 20 here for 20 the billion. FDIC. But it'd be nice a to stem it. Of where, That's the whole idea is to stem it before. Because you know, Janet Yellen was sort of the different... Um, you takes know, last week on whether or not they would be, what they'd be whether or not do. they would be able to um, take all banks right. deposits implicit explicit what, what they have the authority to do there's another one we'll do don't. it but we won't do it for everyone right but. and it's got to be on a case-by-case basis right. but in fact u.s regulators are considering more support for banks in an effort to try and give first republic more time to shore up its balance sheet bloomberg reports talks that are at an early stage right now One idea supposedly under consideration is expanding the Fed's emergency lending program. If you've been listening to Larry Summers lately, he's been saying um, that they should go ahead and insure all deposits for a year to make sure that it gives everybody time to move things around. But uh, as you know, there's a lot of pushback on that idea coming from Congress and other places where you would need to get that authority. The chairman of Saudi's uh, National Bank resigned his post. Amar al-Qudari's comments earlier this month uh, sparked a sell-off in Credit Suisse. The Swiss bank was then acquired by rival uh, UBS. Saudi National Bank, by the way, lost roughly 80% of its investment in Credit Suisse, more than $1 billion. And the bank says that the chairman is stepping down, in their words, for personal Okay, uh, I, Look, I, I heard the interview at the time. He was asked point blank. Are you going to buy any more Are you going to buy any? He said absolutely not was his answer. But then he went on to say why. Because yeah. they already owned 9.9% of the bank. And, and because of regulatory in. reasons, if you go above 10%, it changes all kinds of rules and regulations. They're already a bank. It would have, it would have kicked a lot of different things in. Now, I, I, I think probably the bigger reason he's stepping down, I don't know if his comments are what sparked the whole run on it. I think that's a little crazy, too. But they lost. They, they, they lost $1.5 billion. Back, uh. back in October, they took a 9.9% stake for, uh, that was valued at $1.5 billion, for $1.5 billion, which valued the place of $15 billion at the time. Yeah. If, if you're stepping down, it's because you lost $1.5 billion for the Saudi family. Is that a personal reason? Person, when you hear personal reason, is in China, something in some countries... Maybe even here. The Saudi I, sovereign wealth covers fund a wide range, like 37 yep. percent of Saudi National Bank. You lost one and a half billion dollars of their money, basically. Yeah. What if you resign for personal reasons in China? Is it ever really for personal? Don't you? You kind of are serving at the at the the whims, whims of and the, the wills. CCP. Yeah, it could be called personal reasons, but you know.
Yeah, but but this whole idea that it, by him saying absolutely not, we're not going to put more. Uh, look, yeah. he didn't say explicitly we're not going to throw good money after bad. His point was that from a regulatory perspective, we can't do anymore. But maybe he shouldn't have said absolutely not because it's. But it it definitely seems like it's related to that. But uh, there's a lot of other stuff that. happening in banking right now. The Fed will face Congress this week as lawmakers look for answers about recent bank failures. Our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman, has a list of what lawmakers may be asking. And I bet that's a pretty long one, Steve. It is. And there's the will be asking and should be asking. Uh, we have fingers this week, uh, Becky, you're going to be pointing at the Fed and potential supervisory lapses in the recent bank failures as vice chair for supervision, Michael Barr. He's going to go before Congress for two days of testimony that starts tomorrow. In a statement Friday, Tim Scott, the ranking member for the Senate Banking Committee, said, quote, a number of warning signs existed at SVB in the months and years leading up to its closure. As per reports, these risky practices were on the Federal Reserve's radar for more than a year. It is apparent that the Federal Reserve supervisors and examiners neglected to intervene in a meaningful, appropriate way. So that's a question right there. Some other questions might include the absence of stress testing for rising interest rates, at least with the major stress tests they do, whether the Fed had concerns about deposit concentration in a single industry and the flight of deposits, and of course, the role of rate hikes and rate cuts in creating a fragile banking system. A related issue, does the Fed put the dual roles it serves of supervision and monetary policy on the same level or is supervision at the Fed a poor relation. One former senior official that I talked to said to me, the monetary policymakers and the supervisors are in different places physically and culturally. He noted that the two sides are not really in routine communication except for his office. The Fed successfully argued in the battle over Dodd-Frank to keep both roles, something, by the way, that is separated at the Bank of England. Amid the fast rate hikes of the spring and summer, only one official balked at the speed. Kansas City Fed President Esther George, she dissented from a June rate hike, saying she was concerned, among other things, about the impact on the banking system. George, of course, no longer at the Fed. No other Fed official, including Barr, who joined the Fed in July, dissented through the most aggressive rate hike cycle in 50 years. And few Fed officials have even mentioned the threat to the banking system and the issue of interest rate risk. Becky? Neil Kashkari from Minnesota made some comments over the weekend. What's unclear for us is how much of these banking stresses are leading to a widespread credit crunch. And then that credit crunch, you're right, just as you said, would then slow down the economy. This is something we are monitoring very, very closely. Just saying that, look, it could be a, a much bigger threat for the potential of something slowing down because of landing in a recession because of concerns right. around credit. Recession. Right. Interesting so it piece. Just, it just, I wonder. Yeah, sorry, Steve. No, I was just going to say, interesting piece in the lead editorial in the journal. It, almost as if the, the San Francisco Fed and the bank were sort of on the same page in terms of which risks they were really uh, had their eye on. You know, they didn't have a, a risk manager per se, that they had a, some kind of a DEI manager. And the San Francisco Fed has been trumpeting its efforts uh, to, to highlight a, a climate, range, a climate change risk and inclusion and community reinvestment and uh, the, the bank and the, and the regulators 
we're sort of on the same page. It, it's, according to the journal, of course, that's the journal's take uh, on a lot of things. I don't know about the whole dual mandate, Steve. I don't know. They seem to be mutually exclusive things. I think we should be price stability and bank, bank stability. I, I, you know, let the private sector take care of full employment by getting out of the way. And, and, you know, don't put that onus on the Fed to where they have to be all things to all people. And, and some of the things, that, like right now, obviously the price stability must be more important. That must take precedence. Because if you're going to try to cause higher unemployment, then that obviously you're putting that mandate on the back burner, aren't you? I, but it's too much. They got three mandates, really. Yeah, I, and I, I think that's an interesting issue, Joe. I'm, I'm, I go back, if you go back to the issue of when they cut rates to zero. That created tremendous uh, uh, growth, by the way, uh, including the uh, fiscal stimulus from both the Trump and Biden administrations. These banks grew very fast. Now, if you're a supervisor, maybe you're saying, hey, wait a second, you have to respond to this. You should maybe raise interest rates, slow the growth at the banks. And maybe if you're a supervisor on the back end, you say, let's go a little slower on the way back up. That's what Esther George was saying. And nobody dissented the whole time, Joe. So the, the information that I have is that the supervisors don't really have much over there other than when it comes to supervision. And is the Fed really coordinating supervisory policy with monetary policy? And there's an argument that they should be separate issues. Yeah. Working remotely, Steve, just as an aside. Do you see that? What's that? Working remotely, becoming increasingly rare a few years <laughs> after the you think? Is it? I thought it was permanent. Look, there are parts of the country where it never was really a thing. It's big cities are the places this is. And I, I would say part of that is because people don't want to go back to the horrible commutes in big cities. If you can get away with it, sure. What about all the people that are in those big cities supporting all of them? You know how work? many people? Eight million people live in New York City. You know how many people work here? Twelve million. So that's four million people that come into the city every day. Good. Used to. I, and th by the way, those are outdated pre-pandemic little, statistics. Uh, you know, this guy out here, he was starving for a couple of years. Yeah, our buddy right there with the falafel guy. stuff and coffee and all that. We need it. We need guys that, you know, think, get out of your house. Well, look, people, people are going to the Starbucks or the local coffee shop in their hometowns at this point. They do that, too. I, I get it. I think there's something that is missing when you can't come into the office place. But I also understand workers who say, I don't want to go back to that. That was a crappy lifestyle. I just think you... It's been two I, hours... I, I don't believe your productivity way. is equal when you're able to... Ah, geez, there's something that's lost. I, I think you can be more productive at home depending on what your job you know, is, but if something learning, is lost in the organization, culture, culture the learning, organization, and mentorship, things, on and on and yeah, on. You're sitting there on a computer, you're going to go nuts. I, bad I for your mental on your health. I think it depends your job, too. It probably is bad for your mental health. It is. Although coming in five days a week might be, too. At 3.30 in the morning, it's pretty bad, too. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, Silicon Valley Bank and its depositors rescued. Credit Suisse scooped up. Economist Ian Shepardson on the next big risk for the global financial system. I think the risk of failures is pretty much done. I don't suppose any depositors are going to lose any money. But the point is that these banks now aren't going to be able to do what banks are supposed to do. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand by, Joe. His mic. Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick. Andrew uh, is off this morning. Neil Kashkari says that the banking system is resilient despite the turmoil over these last couple of weeks. He was speaking on CBS's Face the Nation. The Minneapolis Fed president said that the question of whether banks are too big or too large to fail is now beyond doubt, but the regional and community banks need to be addressed. Kashkari said that the recent stress in the banking sector and the possibility of a credit crunch to follow could bring the U.S. economy closer to recession. I want to talk more about the impact of the bank turmoil on the economy. And joining us for that right now is Ian Shepardson. He is the chief economist of Pantheon Macroeconomics. He's right here in studio with us. And Ian, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. I, I think it's kind of a, a no-duh statement to say, yeah, this brings us closer to the possibility of a recession. I guess the question is, how much closer, and what does the Fed do as a result? Yeah, this is a gazillion-dollar question now. So I think what's really important is to appreciate that bank credit standards were tightening way before banks started to fail. So over the last year, you know, since the Fed really started raising rates aggressively, we've seen a clear tightening in lending standards. Uh, whether you're looking at it from the bank's perspective or the borrower's perspective, everyone's been saying, even before SVB failed, credit's becoming harder to get and more expensive. And so then just on, because the, cred, the Fed's intention yeah, to tighten it. Absolutely. This is why you raise rates. You want to slow right. down the flow of credit. So then on top of that, you, you have bank failures. You have deposits running away from banks and going into money funds. And you have bank management thinking, OK, how do we survive this now? Well, we probably don't do it by, by lending. So my guess is what we're going to see over the next few months is a, a further ratcheting up of lending standards. So way more than we've already had. Uh, you know, as we all know, in, in a modern banking-driven developed economy, when the flow of credit is squeezed, you know, bad things happen to growth. So I'm getting really nervous now that an economy that I thought was going to dodge recession, just, is now at much greater risk of, of falling into one. And, you know, it could be quite severe because... Bank credit is a lifeblood for small businesses, and most people work for small businesses. They drive a huge amount of economic activity, and they're really going to struggle. So you're getting into a position where the only people who can get a loan are the people who don't actually need it because they have the money yeah. to this back is, it this up. This is the definition of a credit crunch, is that right. you know, if, you, if you want it, you can't get it. If you need it for working capital, you, know, you want to carry inventory, you want to uh, hire people, you want to invest in equipment and software, well, no, you need to borrow money from the banks, and if that money's not there... Uh, economic activity suffers. So it's very early. At this point, we just don't know. And this is what I guess all these Fed speakers are saying, you know, we just don't know how bad it's going to be. But what worries me is that the starting point wasn't great. It's not like this comes out of a clear blue sky. We know we've been looking, I've been watching these loan surveys, these loan officer surveys from the Fed itself getting tighter and tighter and already getting kind of, you know, up to levels that normally are consistent with a pretty unpleasant situation for business borrowers. And then we get the bank failures on top. There, there was a pretty interesting statistic. One of these bank lending to commercial and industrial companies uh, that you were looking at, commercial real estate, 
That number actually jumped in the week after March 15th. And a lot of people would say, hey, that's a good sign. You say not so quickly. No, it's not. It's a classic sign of distress that, you know, when borrowers realize that credit is going to become more difficult to get, the first thing they do is grab whatever lines they've got available because they don't want to be calling the bank next week and the bank saying, sorry, that line's not yours anymore. Or we're not going to renew it. Or here's the new terms, which will be very onerous. So we saw this, you know, after Lehman failed in 08, and we saw it in the early stages of COVID that we all knew that a really nasty credit crunch was coming. But actually, the first thing that happened was the bank lending jumped and it looked great, but it didn't last. And the reversal was way bigger than the jump. Uh, and so I think we're probably in that phase now. I think it'll last maybe a month or so. But my guess is later in the spring, we're going to see these lending numbers drop really pretty aggressively sharply. And that, that's a very bad sign for CapEx and hiring. Do you think the Fed is thinking the same thing you're thinking? Uh, and if that's the case, because, mm. look, there, there are still expectations. A lot of people, if you talk to them, expect that the Fed will hike rates again, maybe twice more, maybe three times more. But then in the market, it's also playing out that the Fed might actually cut rates you're looking at the Fed futures by June. Yeah. Oh, no. I think that the, the June seems unlikely to me, but I'm not ruling it out. The spread of opinion at the Fed, I think, is pretty wide. So, you know, now that we've had the meeting is out of the way, we're getting Fed speakers coming out. And, and the, the opinion is, is pretty clearly split. You know, Neil Kashkari has been very hawkish. And there he is yesterday talking about an increased risk of recession, whereas Jim Bullard is still very hawkish and talking about rates maybe going up to 5.5%. And no one in markets thinks that anymore. I mean, that was the view, but it isn't anymore. Yeah. Uh, and so the market's now pricing in no hike in May and then 75 basis points of easing by the end of the year. But, you know, listen to Chair Powell at the, at the meeting last week, and it's, no, we're not thinking about easing. They're dismissing it completely. So there's, there's a split within the Fed, but there's also quite a big rift now between markets and the Fed as well. And this will only be resolved by what the data tell us, but I'm increasingly leaning towards the idea that the data are going to tell us that actually they need to get their foot off the brake. During the transitory phase, wasn't Neil the biggest dove sitting on the... On the Fed, it was, and then he wasn't. Yeah, I mean, he he looked like Mr. MMT for a while. For so, a while. Okay, so yeah. that that was wrong, and and you know, a lot of people say, "Wow." Modern uh, monetary theory. Yeah, that, and a lot of people say, "Wow, that was." They got that pretty wrong back then. How do we know they're not getting it wrong now? And, and here he is as the poster child for, for the <laughs> well, other side now, right? Absolutely, I mean, absolutely. Well, that's a little, the, the, what, everyone is everyone is fighting uncertainty. Uh, and I think, you know, they all want to position themselves so that they're not, look, not looking back and saying, I got that one wrong as well. But just saying that the risk of recession has gone up, well, that's not really very helpful because, of, of course, the risk of recession has gone up. The question is, how much has it gone up and what are you, the Fed, going to have to do about it? And at the moment, the Fed is stonewalling and just saying, you know, there's no way we're easing this year. But, you know, you hold these positions until you can't hold them anymore and then you, then you move very quickly. But markets, I think, have got wind of the idea that actually uh, a credit crunch in an economy that was pretty weak anyway is, is a really you think, serious You think we're out of the woods? I mean, I don't, the First Citizens in, in Silicon Valley Bank isn't going to help Deutsche Bank. No, no, it's not. No. I mean, I think, you know, we're not going to wake up one morning and find that a, a big bank has failed in some sort of uncontained fashion. I mean, that's clearly not going to happen now. And every bank is taking all its health to maturity paper, giving it to the Fed and receiving cash in return. So I think the risk of failures is pretty much done. I don't suppose any depositors are going to lose any money. But the point is that these banks now aren't going to be able to do what banks are supposed to do, which is transform risk, transform maturity, and lend into the private sector. If your objective is survival and getting through the next six months, as a bank who's been punished for having a very narrow deposit base and, a, and an undiversified loan book, the last thing you're going to do is go out and lend some more. 
Uh, and this is, this is the lifeblood. You're squeezing out the lifeblood for, for a developed banking-driven economy. So, you know, on top of a tech sector that's struggling anyway, you know, a huge round of layoffs on the tech sector, we're now going to see that spreading. Uh, and these payroll numbers, which have been pretty great for the last few months, to me, they're a really false signal. And I'm, I'm guessing by the time we get into late spring and summer, we're going to be looking at a much weaker picture. Well, it just sounds like the Fed had someone do their work for them at this point. They should be able to relax a little bit more, don't you think, at this point? I, uh, absolutely. I don't want them to hike again. I don't think they should have hiked uh, at the you last meeting. Yeah. No, I don't. Absolutely not. I think they've done enough. You know, I think they, they talk a lot about lags. You know, we've been doing this over the last year and monetary policy, cumulative lags and all the rest of it. But they're not actually acting as though they believe it. Because if you believed it, having raised rates by so much, given the turmoil of the banking system, you would have taken a pass at the last meeting and said, actually, we don't need to do any more. We, we've, got, you know, we've got six weeks till the next meeting. It's not like this is a decision for the ages, so we don't hike. And then we, you know, we're in a better position in early May to, to make a judgment. But they didn't do that. They went for it again. Because they're and, still afraid of inflation. And if you looked at the UK inflation numbers last week, they came back unexpectedly. Do you think inflation they, is yeah. going to be oh, I think no it's longer done. a problem with this I, I think it's done. I think all the things that drove it up are now working in the opposite direction. Rents are coming down, wage growth is slowing, margins are compressing, food and energy inflation is now negative. Right. That UK inflation story is a very British specific thing, by the way, it didn't have anything to do with any sort of broader implications for, for US or European inflation, it was very UK specific. Uh, whereas here, you know, food inflation, which was high double digits, you know, six, nine months ago, is dropping pretty quickly now, and Excellent. energy pass-through is negative. Yeah. So, I'm not worried anymore, I, I, and I do think that the lag defect of what the Fed has done is really very substantial. This is the fastest tightening since Volcker in 1980. I mean, it's very aggressive. Ian, I tell you what, I know you're watching these credit numbers very closely. Give us a call. Tell us what you're seeing. Let us know. I will. Thank you very much for Thanks coming in. Good to see you. Ian Shepardson. Next on Squawk Pod, Apple CEO Tim Cook threading the needle on a visit to China, his first there since the pandemic. New reporting from CNBC's Eunice Yoon. It's really a, a, a symbol of, of what might have to happen for a lot of businesses to kind of have a China-related business and then a business for the rest of the world. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Here's Becky Quick. Alibaba's billionaire co-founder Jack Ma has returned to mainland China after spending a year overseas. That's according to a Wall Street Journal report that says he spent most of the last year in Japan. In November of 2020, Ant Group called off its IPO after Ma gave a speech at a financial forum that drew the ire of regulators in China. Regulators then launched a probe into Alibaba for anti-competitive behavior that resulted in a $2.8 billion fine. A lot of talk about what this might mean, what it might signal. There has been uh, some thought that the Chinese Communist Party is trying to maybe calm concerns about private business there, especially as they are looking to shore up the economy after everything happened with COVID and beyond. Executives from some of the world's largest companies gathered in Beijing in the first major development forum since China relaxed its COVID standards. Eunice Yoon, who was in Beijing. Good, uh, good day, Eunice. 
Thanks so much, Joe. Well, Apple's chief, Tim Cook, uh, met with China's commerce minister today. Uh, the ministry said that the two discussed uh, the um, attempt to stabilize the supply chains and also that the minister told Cook China is willing to provide a good environment and uh, good environment and services for foreign companies, including Apple. Now, this was the theme that we heard all weekend at the forum. Uh, President Xi Jinping's chief of staff read a letter to the audience there uh, from his boss, uh, attempting to reassure them that President Xi does indeed want an open China. Now, in public, uh, bosses such as Tim Cook, as well as those from uh, Pfizer, Qualcomm, P&G and uh, Ray Dalio of uh, Bridgewater, among others, all expressed their support um, and excitement for China's development. But privately, uh, the attendees were quite pessimistic, especially about the outlook for U.S.-China relations. Uh, in terms of Tim Cook, um, he opted to um, not take part in the plenary session, uh, but instead to um, be a part of a, a 30 minute kind of TED talk style discussion on technology and education. Uh, Xinhua News Agency was the only one that was allowed to cover it. And then those reporters, uh, including myself, who were outside of the venue, um, asked him several times about investments in, that Apple is making in China or U.S.-China relations, and he declined to comment, just like so many of the other CEOs. Guys? That was the same week as the TikTok hearing. It's very weird uh, to juxtapose everything uh, together, uh, Eunice. The things swirling around, cross-currents. Absolutely. And that the TikTok uh, situation was also a very big topic of discussion among the attendees. Uh, people were saying that it's, it's really a, a, a symbol of, of what might have to happen for a lot of businesses to kind of have a China-related business and then a business for the rest of the world. And do you have to adjust your investments for that? All right. Thank you, Eunice. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for starting your week with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. And we are clear. Thanks, guys. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.